more things change, the more you need to know. Welcome to the NIQ Need to Know podcast, an expert-led series that will address your biggest marketplace needs and challenges in CPG. We operate in a marketplace that is always in flux. With digital marketing and retail shopping constantly evolving, consumer behaviors are a moving target, making fierce competition among brands to break through the noise. That's where the Need to Know podcast can help. Wondering how to craft a more effective promotion strategy? Join us. Feeling the pressure of tightening consumer spend? We can help. Whether you are starting, growing, innovating, or exploring, follow your need to know with NIQ. Let's hear what's top of mind this time. Hello, welcome. Um, my name is Erica Harrison. I um, am the Vice President of Analytics at Nielsen IQ. I've spent my last 12 years here uh, working with our major manufacturers to help solve their everyday business questions. And within the last five years, really focusing on price, promo, assortment, um, and execution strategies. And I'm Steve Zurich. I've been at NIQ now for about 18 months. I'm a boomerang. I was here uh, in the early 90s and I'm the VP of thought leadership and have a little over 30 years of experience in the CPG world with um, our some of our, our clients, our major clients. So happy to be here. I, um, I'm focused on the future and ready to answer the questions that we get today. We've been talking a lot about pricing and promotion all month as part of our Nielsen IQ Need to Know campaign. We've discussed topics that you've told us are most critical for you to understand. Given pricing and promo are top of mind for so many of our clients, this is what we were constantly being asked about in my area of analytics. We've had so many good questions, great client dialogue, and opportunities uncovered. Today, we're giving you a chance to ask your questions live on the topics of pricing and how to build a better promotional strategy. I'm going to take the first one. Um, this is a question we're getting from a lot of our clients today, which is what's happening with price elasticities? How are they trending since COVID? Um, so what we saw during COVID was that price elasticity started to trend down, which makes sense if you think about how consumers were focused on things like health and safety. Last year, we saw very much the same. Um, again, if you think about the consumer mindset, they were sort of accepting of price increases because they had to, because they were happening across the total store. What we're starting to see in the last couple of quarters is that elasticities are trending back up. They're not quite to those pre-COVID levels yet. Um, but one of the things we also like to do at Nielsen IQ is look back in history to help us help us predict the future. And when we look at what happened after the 2008 recession, elasticities kind of behaved in this same similar manner. What I think is really interesting about what we're seeing in the most recent data um, as you look at elasticity trends is we like to break down elasticities into three components. How tied are you to your own pricing? to your internal portfolio pricing, and then to your external or competitive pricing. What we're seeing over these last couple of quarters is that that competitive bucket is starting to grow in importance. And again, if you think about yourself at the grocery store, this makes sense. So as you've seen prices increase across the total store, you're now starting to pay a little bit more attention to things like private label or brand comparisons. So I think the learnings for you out there in the audience today is that starting to track your competition, if you're not already, and what they're doing with their price is going to be really important in making sure you're managing 
managing to any of those critical gaps between you and either branded or private label competition. All right, Steve, awesome. you want to take us to our next one? Yeah, we're getting some good questions here. All right, so the next question is, there are new price points. Really, did we go through inflation? Yes, we did. <laughs> um, uh, if we were promoting generally at $9.99 in the past, but retails have gone up by 10%, um, it's no longer feasible to get down to that price point. Sure. You are absolutely right. It is not uh, feasible to get to that price point anymore. But in the work that we've done, and this is before the pan pandemic as well as after, we've looked at a, a lot of elements of promotions and what drove performance. And while price is generally that, that lever that we like to gravitate to, and it's the easiest lever to pull, really what we found is that it was the way the promotions were executed and the level of support that those promotions were getting within the retailer. So, you know, if you had uh, a promotion that had good display support, you were favorably uh, placed in the feature, um, you had digital support, you had that really that 360 kind of uh, execution. That's really what drove performance. When you start looking at uh, what's going on in the market when you're promoting, you want to understand what your competitors are doing. You want to understand who was on when uh, when you were on. You know, were there some competitive forces that were at play that were also playing with your ability to lift or not lift during that that uh, that promotion? But in reality we're all here to make money, right? Going into the pandemic, um, trade spend was not that efficient. It was not returning. Um, but if you can look at some of those elements of support that your best promotions were getting, that gives you a negotiating point with your retailers because they want more money in their pocket and that will in turn put more money in your pocket. So I hope I, that answers that question. Yeah, I, I I think that's such a good point, Steve, and something else that kind of calls to mind when you're thinking about comping promotions year on year is that's where I feel like internally it's really important for organizations to work cross-functionally because you've got maybe an RGM team that's helping set up those promotions. You've got field sales teams that are really close to the retailers. And so maybe it's something crazy like a competitive retail outlet opened down the street of the store. And so your promotion didn't have the same effectiveness because now there's more price comparisons going on within a consumer's kind of zone of which they shop. So um, really important parts there. Yeah. You're also taking us a little bit into to promotions, which is great. So I'm going to pick up um, a promotion question, which is how do we test new scenarios when it comes to promotions? And I think there's kind of two important components to this. The first is uh, before you get to market, how do you make sure you are introducing the most effective promotions? So there's a lot of different ways, depending on which tools your organization has access to, that you can do this. But I think the biggest part is you've got to do that homework. So if you are looking at basic scanning data, you can understand what was done in the past, how was it done differently by different retailers, um, what was the lifts by different PPGs or UPCs that you may be looking at within your database. 
if you have the benefit of more of an advanced solution, like a pricing and promo scenario um, planning tool, that, that is excellent for being able to test out different hypotheses. Because what's really nice in that um, scenarios, you can also plan what's happening with competition. You can play around with frequency versus depth. And so really trying to figure out that optimal mix before you even go to market. In addition to that, it's really important to measure what we've done and to see if we had our hypotheses kind of come through in the marketplace. And so as you implement new promotions, make sure you're going back into the data and you're understanding whether or not that was more of a positive lift, not as positive of a lift, incorporating things into your analysis, like Steve mentioned, of what's happening with competitors at the um, same store, if you have that benefit, if not at the same retailer, um, what's happening with other categories, even looking across the total store. The more information that you have, the better. Um, but I think the message is, is Nobody wants to be wasting trade funds. We all put way too much money in the marketplace and, and don't see always the return on those um, that we'd like to. So making sure that you have a way to go back, test those scenarios in advance if possible, um, but if not, definitely afterwards to see if you were moving the needle or if you need to course correct, maybe shift to a different brand, a different retailer um, to execute on the next time. Yeah, you know, when I was on uh, sales teams and most of my career has been on sales teams, Sure. Uh, it was really, it was difficult sometimes to be able to do analysis on an ongoing basis, especially if you were responsible for multiple brands, you had a high frequency brand that, you know, it just, it was very uh, difficult to do that consistently uh, on an ongoing basis. And, you know, I think now there's capabilities that allow, um, sales teams to do this kind of analysis, the postmortems much quicker. And really the reason you need to do the, the postmortems as quickly as possible is because you need to know how to course correct. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have a tight hold on what's going on with your, your trade, you could be into your next quarter and realize that you're going to run the same promotion over again and you don't even know how it performed the last time you got the bill for it but you really don't know what it what it did so that's Are really you saying that there's more predictive power tools in the marketplace since you've been an analyst steve there is i wish i had more scenario um, based planning stuff so that i could see you know what was going on before i actually put it in market yeah sure all right, what do we have next? All right, so the next one is, um, is the increase in promotions in the last year largely driven by big brands within the mm -hmm. category? Ooh, okay, that, that one's a really, really interesting question. I think it varies a lot by category. Um, some of the big brands just did not have the ability to stay in stock. Um, and then had supply chain, ongoing supply chain issues. So, you know, when you've got out of stocks, you're not going to be promoting. So uh, in that scenario, big brands were not, were not driving promotions. But, you know, what you can do is you can look at the, uh, the POS data, the RMS data that um, you have to see, has frequency changed? Has depth changed? Are there more manufacturers um, uh, promoting within the category? Um, and then that would be more helpful in, in kind of answering this question. Um, 
the other thing to know is that, um, you know, you want to be able to show um, volume growth or loss due to promotion. Um, you know, we talk a lot about subsidized volume and, mm -hmm. and trying to get that as low as possible so that you're driving incrementality. It's really about analyzing, um, you know, your, your POS data and looking at those causal um, pieces to really understand what's going on in the market in terms of promotions and promotions are still, they're below where they were pre pandemic. They're starting to creep up a little bit. So it's a good question. Um, it's definitely something to be, um, to be looking at. I think sometimes too, retailers are using the smaller brands to kind of disrupt. So now that we're seeing more shoppers come back into the store, how are they getting attention? How are they driving traffic down certain aisles? Um, so I agree with you, Steve. I think that one's probably a little bit of a mixed bag depending on the category and even the retailer. Yeah, boy, I would say that, you know, that being a small brand right now or a medium sized brand is it, it could be an interesting and a frustrating point. Um, uh, in our CPG history, because they're small and medium sized brands are the variety of every category. And, you know, you may have a tremendous opportunity right now to be adding that variety, adding the incrementality that, you know, big brands just can't. Yeah. And I think too, with kind of the return to stores, that's almost an advantage. You know, I think about for a while I was strictly shopping on Instacart. And so I was kind of on that autopilot buying brands that I know, but now that I've gone back into the store, like, oh, look at these new category entrants over the last couple of years. <laughs> so um, trying and, and seeking more variety is certainly something I'm personally experiencing. Exactly. And seeing the raised eyebrows and the big eyes of discovery is even better. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So we got one that's a little hard to answer, but um, let's attempt it. So what do you do when a retailer insists you do more promotions or you're discontinued? So the threat from the retailer um, and obviously, you know, SKUs being discontinued is kind of the kiss of death. So we all want to avoid that and try to keep the space on shelf as much as possible. Um, honestly, there's, there's really not an easy answer to this question, um, but you came to this session to ask uh, a data company our opinion, and, and Steve and I, if you don't mind me saying, are a little bit of data geeks. So what I would say in answer to this question is you've got to lean back on the numbers. Um, so retailers want to grow, and in most cases, they want you to grow too. So I think trying to come up with kind of a common set of objectives and goals, number one, as well as KPIs for how you're going to get there, and then showing them data to maybe refute or maybe twist a little bit of what that ask is. So maybe you're not going to be able to execute exactly what you had hoped um, kind of with the with the retailer's wishes, um, but can you come up with some kind of compromise that's going to lead to a win-win solution? There's something that we have um, within kind of our toolbox that I've been talking to a lot of clients about lately, which is called promotional source of volume. And what it does, it kind of gets to like a true incrementality number by looking at um, sort of breaking that subsidization piece down and also adding in a component of cannibalization, both from a manufacturer and a retail perspective. So said really simply, what it's doing is it's helping identify the promotions that you're running that are beneficial to the retailer 
because it's keeping the consumers, the shoppers within their four walls, and it's beneficial to your brand. And I think if you're able to leverage that or even some of your scanning data just to show the retailer that your strategy is going to lead to more of a win-win and help their whole category grow, that that might be your best bet to combat um, a challenge like that from your buyers. All right, Steve. All right. I always love the retailer threats. <laughs> well, cool. I don't envy you sitting in that seat. No, no. There's a little PTSD there that I'm just trying to push right down. <laughs> All right. So the next question. Um, you need to grow units. Otherwise, other brand competitors are going to steal share. Mm. Also, retailers will not allow trade spend to be reduced. Uh, as a percent of sales, how do you structure promotions to overcome these factors? Wow, that's a lot in that question. So, um, I assume that when you grow, when you say you're going to grow units, um, that that is a KPI for your company, which is it's a good KPI to have actually. But what you need to understand about that KPI is that. Um, that can come at the expense of margin. So, you know, if if unit share is important, you're definitely going to want to increase promotion frequency. And there is a little bit of a balance there, um, you know, because you do start to see diminishing returns um, if your frequency gets too high. So I'll share a personal story there. I knew that my brands in the OTC pharma space, that once I got over 15 to 17 item um, promotions per year, I saw a dramatic decline in my my returns. So I, I would usually leave like 10, 20, even 30% of my promotion schedule um, kind of open so that I could test some different things. And, and, you know, eventually I would end the year with, you know, 17 or 18 promotions. But once you get to that diminishing return, you really you, you don't want to continue to do that because then your retailer will start to expect that. Um, so the second part of your question, um, retailers don't want you to, to reduce your trade. In fact, there's there is a push pull that's going on there. You don't want to spend as much as they want you to spend. And that's always been that that headbutting that goes on. Um, but you can always change where you invest your trade. So, um, you know, maybe you want to start looking at, um, ranking your promotions. And so in the presentation that we had last week, where we showed how you could look at your top promotions and your bottom promotions, you know, you definitely want to start looking at those and weeding out the ones that aren't performing, the ones that maybe cost too much and don't return enough mm -hmm. to overcome um, your investment. But, you know, once you start doing that kind of work and that analysis um, and you're able to make decisions that are rooted in data, they're optimizing your trade spend and they're optimizing the performance of the promotion, then you're going to naturally get retailers on board um, because you're going to be growing their category um, and you're going to be growing their margin. Win-win. Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> okay, um, we've got 10 minutes left. So first of all, I just want to thank everybody who has submitted questions. Please keep them coming. Um, Eric, I'm going to take yours next. So thank you for being a brave soul. But um, Eric asked us about what is the ideal time frame to have a promotion live in market? Um, so I guess the, the obvious thing that I would say is try to align your category with seasonal events. So if you're playing in chips, beverages, et cetera, something like, you know, a football season kicking off is great. If you're playing in um, over the counter, you know, something around flu season, et cetera, is great. If you're playing in something like paper, pencils, back to school. So all of those kind of obvious occasions where you know people are going to be in the store and looking for categories such as yours, try your best to make sure that you're very present during that. Outside of those kind of key windows for your category, I think the most important thing to consider is the purchase cycle of your category. So it's going to vary by everybody, but knowing what that cadence is that shoppers are on in terms of when they're coming to your category will help you understand kind of how far apart you want to pace some of those promotions. So for example, if your purchase size is every three months, you're only promoting every four months, then you're sort of missing that opportunity window where people might come back and be willing to try another brand that is on promotion. So that would be something that I would look at if you haven't already in terms of figuring out kind of how far apart to space your promotions. And then again, just taking advantage of any of those natural windows um, where you know consumers are going to be in store and, and more apt to buy your categories. The one other thing I would add there would be, you know, there's this idea that if a promotion is really hot, you may be, you may be advancing forward a future promote or future purchase. So you're you're kind of financing a future uh, purchase from that same shopper. And so, if you're doing that, one of the things you have to be conscious of is, you know, are you going to take that person out of the market for the remainder of of the year, you know, say going back to OTC pharma, you might have somebody that buys pain medication one time a year. So if you give them a really hot promotion, you know, you're going to take them out and they buy two, two bottles. You could be in, in theory, taking them out of the market for a couple of years. So mm -hmm. you, you just want to figure out, you know, if you're going to do that, how are you going to continue to add incremental purchases throughout your, your promotion schedule so that you're not actually just advancing stuff forward. Somebody's loading up in their pantry and then they're out of the market for the rest of the year. Um, Steve, can I tell a really funny story in 10 yeah. seconds? Since we are live and we're doing this for the first time, uh, I just got the pop-up on my computer that it's going to force restart. And luckily it let me postpone, but that is a funny thing from, uh, from the universe right now. It always happens during All of a sudden these. I disappeared, yes. Um, okay, I'm sorry, I kind of lost track. You want to take the next question? Um, let's see. So the next question is, what is, the, what is your promo ROI calculation? Okay. So people, people uh, will will do that calculation differently. There's a lot, I mean, as many people that are thinking about it is the variance that it could have. But generally speaking, you don't put your fixed costs in there. You don't put your 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 corrugated costs if you've you know built displays. You don't put your uh you know the costs of the of the program, the fixed uh costs, but you do put in 
what I use is incremental promotion dollars minus cost of the promotion over cost of the promotion. And that generally gets you to the ROI for, um, for that particular promotion. And I would say you just have to keep doing that because that one number in and of itself may not necessarily mean anything. It's really, you know, when you start comparing it to other promotions, um, obviously a negative number is, is, you know, not the number you want to have, but, um, in some cases, I mean, I used to call in Kmart, so I got really good at calling on, well, it's less negative, right? Got, you know, it's less negative than this other promotion, but generally speaking, you need to have a few of those, um, in the hopper before you can really understand, okay, this is what my trends are. This is, this is how I'm going to set, you know, my KPIs going forward. Mm -hmm. Um, okay, we everybody's starting to feel really warmed up. I think all of a sudden we had them trickling in, and and now we have several, which is great. So I'll try to be maybe succinct so we can get through into the next couple. How do promotions affect brand building? Um, in my opinion, they absolutely do. I think there's a lot of you know things we can do within the store to um, not only help give you know a little bit of a discount, a little bit of an incentive um, on a brand, but it's trial, number one. It helps maybe somebody who wasn't willing to try your brand or wasn't aware of your brand um, previously a reason to do so. Um, that's a little bit of a lower barrier to entry than maybe if you were still on your everyday price on shelf. I think the other thing it does is give you more real estate to tell your story. So if you think about having a secondary display, maybe in a different part of the store that you're not traditionally in, you're getting new kind of eyeballs, if you will, on your brand. You're getting um, real estate to be able to promote a tagline or a claim that you know is important to consumers. Um, it can help reinforce any media messages or any shopper marketing that's helping uh, or that's happening in the market or within the store at a certain time. So I definitely think there is a lot of brand building and sort of equity reasons why promotions in store are, are helpful in that area. Yeah. Um, we have another question. Um, how should we run or do promotions without creating trade-off effect for BAU sales? Since we want to make sales on both special occasions and a daily basis. So the first thing is, is that, you know, if you want to drive conversion, the first thing that, that you really need to be looking at is um, what does your shelf look like? What is the holding power of your brand at shelf? Because if it's not on shelf, you know, you don't have that billboard there. Um, you're not there when that everyday shopper, is going to be walking by um, the set. Uh, as far as um, creating a trade-off, you know, you have to look at how your shopper shops your category. So, for instance, orange juice. I don't think there's anybody on the face of the earth that buys orange juice that is not on deal because we're all trained to bridge from deal to deal to deal. So right there, that concept is the one you want to avoid because there is no base volume in orange juice or it's very little comparative to other categories. So if you start training your shopper to just wait for the next deal to come and it comes on a fairly regular cadence. And right now, let's be honest, shoppers do not know what the cadence is because the cadence hasn't been there for three and a half years. So they're starting to get to that point where, 
you know, they're going to be paying attention to what the deals are and they're going to start getting a sensitivity to what a good one is versus a not good one is. Um, and they'll eventually get back to, you know, fighting strength um, with that concept. But don't train your shopper to bridge from deal to deal. Otherwise, you're going to be just subsidizing base volume and you're not going to be driving any incrementality to your brand. Yeah. All right, Steve, we've got two more minutes. I'm going to squeeze in one more question and then I want to comment on another question that we got in terms of being able to follow up. So somebody asked the question around, you know, consumers being kind of creatures of habits on, on autopilot when they're shopping and how do you disrupt with promotions? So a huge message that I hope you guys all hear from us today is that now is absolutely the time to change it up. So we've talked a lot at Nielsen IQ about this kind of being the year that has been a, a once in a career opportunity to hit the reset button on promotions and not just lift and shift what you did in the past because it's what you did in the past. So if you take nothing else away from today, it is please go reevaluate your promotional strategies because it's a great opportunity to kind of get rid of that dead weight that maybe you don't like to run in the past, but again, your retailer just ex expects it um, and really challenge and think differently about how you're putting more productive, effective promotions into the market. The other thing I'll leave you guys with, I know we didn't get to every single question. Troy, you had some good ones around discretionary categories and when throughout the month is best to promote. Um, so we can follow up with you after this webinar. Again, if everybody else, um, if you didn't get a question answered, please let us know. We're happy to follow up. Also, there was a, a two-parter on Troy's question that I think might be beneficial to everyone around how BOGOs impact brand equity. Um, and again, I, I think you know, some retailers like Publix, that's just their MO. So you, you sort of have to get on board with that BOGO idea. I think the other thing to think about is um, that whole pantry loading aspect we talked about earlier in terms of a purchase cycle. And if you're buying more of a product, does that mean you're going through it faster? Um, or does it just mean that it's taking you out of that purchase cycle for longer? So if you're playing in a category that is expandable, think soft drinks, for example, beer is another good one. The more I have in my fridge, the more I'm going to drink. Um, then a BOGO might not be a bad thing for you because it is encouraging overall that buy rate and increased consumption. If you're not in an expandable category, just be careful about when you're executing them because while you will get a really big lift, it might take that consumer out of the cycle for a little bit longer. So, All right. All right. I think we're at time. We're at time. We made it through the very first inaugural. This is great. In live. I think people asked us to dance. I think it worked. <laughs> I think so. Perfect. Thank you, everybody, for your questions. Um, we will be following up with the ones we didn't get a chance to answer. Um, and look for more of these coming from Nielsen IQ or NIQ in the future. Thanks, Thanks everyone. Thank you for listening to the latest NIQ Need to Know podcast. Remember to take our quarterly Need to Know poll so that we can create content you want to know about. Then check back for new episodes with NIQ experts chosen to specifically bring the insights and guidance to help you overcome market challenges to reach new heights this year and beyond. Find links to our Need to Know polls, this podcast, marketplace trends and infographics, and more at niq.com forward slash N2K. Didn't hear what you need to know? While you're on our website, you can also book a one-to-one -one call with an NIQ expert. 
That's niq.com forward slash N2K. Catch you on our next NIQ Need to Know episode.